I'm Kate Daniels. I hope you're ready to take this little journey on looking at making a will. It's something I keep thinking about, knowing it really needs to be done, is the responsible thing to do. And so I believe today's guest, Mitch Mitchell, will be the spark to ignite the fire for all of us if we're needing that. Mitch was an attorney in private practice, but now is Associate Counsel of Estate Planning at Trust and Will, an online platform that both educates in a broad spectrum of all things related to this aspect of life planning, and also offers the option to create a will or a trust. Mitch joins us to provide some insights. Mitch Mitchell, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Happy to join you. So we're going to talk about something that I feel, well, personally, I've been quite a procrastinator about, sometimes because it just does feel overwhelming, and that is when it comes to this whole topic of wills, having a will, creating a will, what to do with an estate, do I even have an estate? And then there are other terms like uh, living trusts and There's like about a dozen different kinds of trusts. So it all feels like this really intricate quagmire and and I don't know where to start. So what is your suggestion to any of us as to what we need to do and when to get started? Well, um, so you are not unlike a lot of people. uh, And that is that most people put this off. And I mean, the first thing you can do is to just start and i think a lot of people also well it's simple for me to say that uh, but where do i start and so um you know there's a traditional route which is you locate a lawyer maybe you find uh, maybe you get a recommendation from a friend to say um you know i i don't have my estate planning done uh, i don't have a will um have you used anybody and, you know, it's a more traditional route is calling around to lawyers offices and asking them, you know, what does it take to get a simple will? What does that look like? How much does it cost? Um, and start gathering information that way. Um, another way to do it is, um, you know, the way we do lots of things, which is you start shopping for something. Um, you start searching online for information about, well, what is estate planning? Um, you know, maybe uh, you do a Google search for a will and um, attach your state to that search and see what you can find. Um, but it's uh, a pretty safe general rule to say that um, what you will need, and everybody needs a will uh, of some kind, and then also um, you need power of attorney documents because the estate planning process um, doesn't just concern what happens to your stuff when you die. It also concerns, well, what happens if something were to happen to me, I'm incapacitated for some reason. Um, and so first step is gathering information and looking at, well, what are the documents? Um, will and power of attorney, there, there's healthcare power of attorney, there's financial power of attorney. Those are the documents to start with, regardless of where you're located. Every state is going to have some version of those forms. So when we talk about forms, and yes, I think probably many, if not most of us, are are familiar with going to Google and we search for whatever it is we need, we could do it with this. But you also have a really good website uh, that we can check out, and it has a lot of detail there. So let's share that with our listeners. 
Sure. Um, I appreciate that very much. And I am proud of uh, the content that we have on our website at trustandwill.com. Uh, we have something called a Learn Center, which is just a mountain of content about you know common questions that people have around estate planning. And so it's also likely that if you're searching for a topic uh, that you might see a search result from our website for that topic. So if you were looking for information about guardianship, for instance, you might find one of our Learn Center articles in your search. And again, I'm really proud of um, the content that our team has put together over the course of the years that we've been active, and we continually update that resource for people. Uh, and that's regardless of um, that, that's free and available to the public. It's general guidance, it's not specific legal advice, but it's sort of like, you know, how to general information about what does this document mean? Uh, what does it do? Those types of things, which are very helpful when you're just starting out. And I will underscore that and agree with that because I haven't spent much time in it yet, but I've really felt that, that this was like taking a, a college class that would give me information and getting into details. And then there's the kind of like embedded links if you want to go into even more detail. So yes, uh, definitely very, very thorough and something that is a good resource for us. Good. I'm glad you had that experience. Absolutely. So then you just get started. So that is a way to get started. But then, uh, so we seek someone out, we may decide to go that course. It, is that then the better way to go? Could someone just decide, you know, I'm just going to s s write out a list of things here and, uh, and, and that should be just fine. But is it just fine? So I think the question is, if, if I, you know, just write out a list of property and who I wanted to go to, is that sufficient? Is that the question? Yes. Oh, um, generally, no. Um, so that's, um, I think, a, a common misconception um, and related to another common misconception is that, like, there's some sort of automatic um, transfer process for property, um, especially if someone's married and say, well, you know, if I die, uh, then my, my spouse automatically gets my property. Um, and that's, you know, there's just, and maybe the reason for this is that probate and wills are unlike really anything else. Um, it's still a very formal process and it's still, um, you know, it's a court process, uh, and you know, probate itself means to prove, and what you're proving is that somebody left a valid will, and um, that they intended for their property to go to people named in that document. And so um, we call those formalities because it really is a formality. Checking the box to see, well, what makes a valid will? Um, it's going to be in writing. Um, it will be signed by the person whose, um, whose will it is. Um, it will be clear in the body of the document that it has some testamentary intent, which just means that it's meant to be a will. Um, and then generally, most states also have a requirement that the document's witnessed as well. Um, 
And so just making a list of property doesn't come anywhere close to satisfying those requirements. Um, and so, you know, some states do allow you to handwrite a will, and uh, it's called a holographic will. And that's where you do write it out. You write it all, all in your own writing, but it still has to be clear that that intended to be your will. And usually the way to, to do that is just to say, this is my will. Um, but, you know, making like sort of a grocery list um, of your property is not going to be enough usually. Okay, so that is definitely a good thing to establish. Then as as we get started, well, one of the things, probate was something that I had a, a, a very confused uh, understanding with. I just assumed probate meant if you didn't have a will, probate was it, and it was a bad thing to have to go through. But, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, probate, like, it, it does mean, um, like I said, to prove. And the first determination um, after the after the determination that somebody die, because uh, we're only concerned about probate when somebody dies. Um, the first determination, did they leave a will or not? If they left a will, um, then we, you know, want or something that we think is a will, then we determine was it valid or not? So did it have the required formalities? And if it does, um, then it's going to be admitted for probate, just means that it's been established by the court that that was the will. And so it is effective to carry out um, the, the testator, the person who died, their wishes. So that will do two things usually. That will appoint an executor, and then it will say who they want their property to go to. Um, and if they didn't leave a will, then their state is going to make a will for them. So each state has what are called intestate um, succession statutes. And that just basically says, well, if someone died, then here are the people who are entitled to inherit from them. Um, and so it's sort of just like a default substitute will if someone didn't have one. And so then it, we need to realize that's totally out of our control. So if we have some really strong desires about what should happen with whatever it is that we possess, the thing to do is create a will, make a will, and have it have – it, uh, signed and notarized and have it so that it's known because sometimes um, maybe this comes from TV dramas but finding a will is like going on some big hunt and not knowing if it exists, right? So there must be some rules about that. So yeah, 100% you want to um, everyone should have a will and you should especially have one if um, you, like you said, have strong feelings about how you want your property to go. So like if you want to benefit a charity, uh, for instance, then you're, go- you're going to have to make a will to say, you know, I want to leave them a lump sum or I want to leave them my car. Also important uh, is the name who's in charge because usually that if you don't do that, then that creates the potential for a fight, say, amongst siblings about, well, who is in charge? Who gets to be the administrator of my estate? Who gets to be the person in charge of paying the bills and distributing what's left over to all of the heirs? So that, you know, it's important to have um, that in writing 
um, and to, to have a written plan um, so that there's not that gap of information. And then your point about searching for a will, once you make one, it's important for you to tell the person who's named executor at minimum uh, where it is, where they can find the original, because um, where that original is, and wills are unlike any other document, and that it's important to have the original. Um, you can uh, establish that somebody left a will if you can only find a copy. Like, for instance, the original was destroyed in a fire uh, by accident or was destroyed in a flood by accident, then you can still use the copy, but um, it's much easier and generally um, more of a, a safe bet to say, my original was stored in a safe at my home or it's in a safe deposit box here's how you get access to it if something should happen to me. And, oh, by the way, you're named first in that. Right. So it seems to me going the legal path, working with an attorney, would be the cleanest, simplest thing because then all the I's are dotted, T's crossed, and then does the will reside in the attorney's office? Um, so... The second question, so if you use an attorney, it is somewhat common practice for attorneys to hold on to original wills. In Texas, uh, where I have spent, where I spent most of my private practice years before I joined Trust and Will, most lawyers nowadays do not hold on to original wills. Um, so they give them back to the client after they're signed. They, they scan and store a digital copy of it. Um, once it's signed, but it, the client is encouraged to put it in a safe spot. Um, so keep it at home in a fire safe or store it in a bank safe deposit box. Um, but, you know, again, it's, uh, it's important that that person, you know, it, it's important you remember where, the, where your will is and that you tell um, the people who need to know uh, where where it is so they can find it when something happens to you when you die. Would you, Do you have a sense of what is the best, safest place to keep a will then? Um, I think keeping it at home in, um, in, a, in a safe or in a locked desk drawer, somewhere that's like accessible, but it's only accessible to somebody who needs access. Um, so it should probably be stored somewhere where it can be locked, um, but a person who needs access to it knows where to find the key or they know the combination. Um, you know, safe deposit boxes historically have been places where people store those. They store them along with valuables. Um, they present a problem though, which is sometimes, uh, maybe even oftentimes, uh, it's hard for your family to access the safe deposit box because if I own a safe deposit box, uh, I've filled out the signature card with the bank, I may not have given access rights to the right people even though they need to get in there for the will. And so states have established a process generally where you can file something with the court or you can provide an affidavit to the bank to say, we only want to search the safe deposit box to see if there's a will in here, and that's it. So there is a process for that, but I mention it because the most administratively easy thing for you to do is 
to keep it in your house or somewhere that like I don't know if somewhere that your family can access it without having to use rely upon a third party to give them access is what I'm saying right what comes to mind too in terms of then keeping it that way is uh just because we've been experiencing more and more natural disasters going on, the horrific wildfires that have gone on, uh, flooding, keep this with important papers that are uh, what that you can transport easily, grab if you have to leave your home and take with you. That's such a great point. That's why, like you know, storing it in. When I say fire safe box, I think of something that you can move. And, you know, maybe isn't so clunky that you could throw it in your vehicle if you had to flee a coming fire or, you know, in Houston, the area where I'm based, if you had to leave because of a hurricane, you have to leave it behind and it'd be waterlogged and destroyed. So, you know, it's just something to think about is, and that's also a good reason to keep copies. So in the case of a lawyer, if a lawyer drafted your will and you held on to the original and it was destroyed in a fire, then they might have copies for you to rely upon later. But, you know, if you were the victim of a natural disaster that destroyed your will, it's also a good idea for you to make a replacement one. Go Just go do a new one. Right. Exactly. So some really important points to consider. And, and I think that as time has gone on, there's all that much more reason to be attentive to this and to take care of these details with all the nuances we've just talked about, just to protect and make sure that our property goes uh, to whomever we really want it to go to. So in this case, have you ever experienced a situation where that didn't happen, that it was just a real nightmare for a family? Yes, I have. Um, and I don't think it's an extraordinary circumstance. I think it is an ordinary thing when people um, don't leave a plan or they leave a plan that they forgot to update. And it's usually, in, you know, over time, um, it's just natural that we go through life events. Our lives change in some way. And that's always a good time when you have a major life event to revisit your estate planning or to assess why don't I have a plan? Why should I have, you know, is there any compelling reason why I shouldn't have a plan right now? Um, and so those life events are, uh, you know, the, the addition of a child to your family, um, you know, death or divorce of a close family member could be, um, could be a parent, could be a child, could be a spouse. Um, those are always good reasons to um, either make a plan or update a plan. Because if you don't, then those changes, those major life changes, present opportunities for conflict for, uh, for loved ones that you leave behind. And so, um, you know, I've seen instances where someone was married and they did um, an estate plan you know, they did wills when they were married um, and then they divorced and they never updated their plan uh, and then remarried. And um, their last will named their prior spouse for everything, you know, executor 
and for receiving all their property. Now, state laws do save you a little bit because some states will say um, if you divorce someone, then anything that you named that person in your will for, so they can't, they'll be disqualified. It'll, they'll be treated as they, as if they died before you, which means that they won't serve as executor and they won't get all of your property. Um, but you don't ever want to be in a situation where you're relying upon default rules because um, family members are not going to know those rules and they're going to act in accordance with what they think the rules should be, um, not with what the rules actually are. And um, so to make like a more concrete example, there might be a situation where drawing on the same situation where there's a house and stepkids have some sort of interest in their dad's house and stepmom also has an interest, but there's not a clear plan as to what their dad wanted to do. How much did he want to provide for stepmom and how much did he want to provide for his kids? You know, it's only fair, I think, that a person in that situation ideally makes a plan and they say, for instance, my interest in the house, I want to go to my kids. And then they can, you know, they, whatever reason, people can live with it. It's just it's hard when someone failed to make a plan to really understand what is it that they actually wanted. And what comes to mind with a situation such as that scenario is that it's good to have open lines of communication all the way along to share this so it doesn't come as this major shock and potential for for a lot of family friction uh, once a person dies. So it's like, I want my kids to have this much, and I want you, my new wife, to have this much. All of that would be so much easier while you're still alive. That's a very good point. And I think that's as important, if not more important, than the plan itself. When, we, when we're talking about a scenario where there's a failure to plan, mm-hmm. there's a failure to plan and a failure to communicate. Um, whereas if you make a written plan, that's an opportunity to communicate. It doesn't guarantee that you communicate, and there's still you know, room for heartache uh, and disappointment on the part of people you leave behind if they unexpectedly got less than they thought they were going to get. Um, but you can mitigate that um, by having frank discussions with them in advance, explaining what, what you did and why you did it. Um, of course, you don't have to do that. I mean, you know, your will, uh, your estate plan is private to the extent you want it to be. A will becomes public when it's filed for probate after you die. But you don't have to tell anyone uh, when you're alive. But it's probably best for you to tell um, the key players what you did um, who's going to be in charge and why you, why you made those decisions, um, because then that can go a long way to uh, helping, you know, minimize the opportunity for conflict when you're no longer around. And what about an executor? Who would you commonly want to? Who would be a, a good or the best choice for this? It's going to vary, but it's most common for people to name a surviving spouse as first and I think that's most common because they're most commonly going to be the people responsible for the property as well. And so it makes sense to sort of combine those hats. But, you know, 
ways to help you make that decision about who you choose is, are you confident in that person's ability, even amidst their grief, to wrap these things up? Because that's what probate is. It is wrapping someone's life up. It's paying their final bills. It's closing accounts. It's notifying a whole bunch of people and companies that someone is dead. And so, you know, stop sending statements and stop sending mailers to them. And of course, finally, the part that everybody thinks about is it's distributing property to the people that are your heirs or devisees named under your will. And so you want somebody who is responsible and trustworthy, and you want somebody who can basically be a project manager of some sort. But typically, you're going to think through your mental Rolodex of who is my family who fits that role. And if I can't think of anybody in my family who fits that role, like maybe I have minor children and, you know, I'm unmarried. And so I can't name my kids to step into that role. I might need to name another trusted family member or I might have a close family friend who knows me for a long time and I feel like could wrap up my affairs effectively. You know, it's just sort of using a, a guidebook of who's trustworthy and who do you think can do the job. And people typically choose those closest to them first, the family and close friends, but you might have to think more broadly than that if you're going through that list and for whatever reason you can't think of someone who you trust without question and think can get the job done. So that was a very interesting scenario, too. We're really focused, though, on talking about wills in this segment. But when you talked about the parent who is now single, who has young children and wants to really plan for them, I think that goes into a a separate category, which I learned about from your website, about (laughs) trusts, right? Right. So maybe that's a conversation then for another day, but just for someone to be aware that there are these other options other than a will for special circumstances. Yeah, I think to cap this off, it's everyone should have a will. There are reasons why you might want to have a trust, and we didn't have time to get into that, but everyone should have a will. There are reasons why you might want to have a trust. You have minor kids or you have beneficiaries who have special needs, those are good reasons to think about a trust. And another conversation for another day, more detail about the ins and outs of trusts. So let's mention the website again, because as I mentioned earlier, it is definitely a wealth of information. So it's trustinwill.com. And you can go there. And uh, in addition to our Learn Center, which we've been talking about, we do offer a digital estate planning platform. And so I've mentioned, you know, one option is the traditional law firm experience. Go to a lawyer's office, they'll draft a plan for you and help get that signed up. We, our company, Trust and Will, enables you to do a self-guided interview. And in addition to all that content that educates you, you have the option to make a will plan or a trust plan. And so I encourage you to visit our website and read more about those. But of course, you know, visit our website and just educate yourself on estate planning generally. And then a note about that, because I did see that and I didn't go into that path of being able then to create your will and have that online interview. With that, we could potentially create the will and it would be a legal document that would be managed or signed off on by your firm? So we are not a law firm, I want to make that clear. But what 
we have built is a platform that enables you to create your own will or trust. And our documents are designed to be legal and valid in all 50 states. And once you go through that process to create a will or trust, you'll then sign that to make it legally valid, like the way I described, you sign it and have witnesses and have a notary as well to make your plan valid. Great. Some good clarifying points in that for us as well. So lots of information, I think, as you stated at the outside, Mitch, it's just get started, get going on it, because really everything we have rests on that for us to be able to disperse in the way that we would want it to be dispersed. Right. Yeah. That's the best advice I could give is just to get started. It's trite, but the thing that keeps people from having these plans is that they just, there's blocker. And the only way to get past that is just to start. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just do it, as some famous company has said, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Right. Well, it's been so informative to take this time with you this morning, Mitch. I really appreciate your insights and and your uh, cheering us on to just get started. So thank you for the work that you do and for taking time with us this morning. Sure. I appreciate your time as well, Kate.